1: Rising sea levels, extreme weather patterns, extinctions of species. Our planet needs protecting. I'm Adam Vaughan, the Environment Editor for The Times, and this is Planet Hope from The Times, in partnership with Rolex and its Perpetual Planet Initiative. In this podcast, we hear from leading experts from around the world who are committed to finding
2: solutions. These explorers, scientists, entrepreneurs and citizens are committed to a common goal, to protect our home, Earth. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Jolly with some essential listening. If you're heading home after your away day at Checkers, uh, we've got a great focus group coming up to tell you exactly what the public think. About Wishi Sunak, Nadeem Zahawi's taxes, Keir Starmer's face even comes up in the, in the focus group. It's the latest Times Radio focus group with uh, James Johnson in the chair speaking to some swing voters about what they make of the political scene. Pretty tough listening, I'd say, for Tories and Labour. Uh, so that's coming up in just a moment. But first, as ever, we kick off with the columnists. The columnists with Night at the Marriott, India Night and James Marriott on Times Radio. Yeah, a delight that James Murray is back in the studio. Morning, James. I feel Good like morning. I've not
2: seen you in the flesh for ages. Well, it's the best way to experience me, and it's a pleasure an to extra, be here. We've got an extra little button undone on our shirt. a little yeah, bit more I know. Flesh. I never really, I never really know how many buttons to do because that feels too many. But. I think that's okay. This is, is normal. I know that's normal. Sure what normal is. Okay. I think if it's some.
3: I'd go. I'd go one more if it was a bit summery. Okay. Bit, but and then if
2: it's snowing, just go the full way full, up. Full. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no I think you're right. Actually, looking at the video of me, you've got in the studio. This looks more sensible. It was a bit loose before. But it was a bit loose. Which is not the image I was aiming to project. It's not your, to your vibe. The, uh, no, not my vibe, and not what I don't want anyone, any times radio listeners to think was my vibe. Very good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> India. <laughs> good morning. <laughs> what, what have you got on?
3: Can we see I've got today? an
4: enormous, I've got an enormous sweatshirt on, covered in dog hairs. Very good. Oh, yes. yeah, there we
3: are. That's the same as our house. Our house is covered in dog yeah. hair. Very nice. Very nice. Good. I'm glad we've got all that sorted out. Let's talk about antisocial behaviour. And I don't mean me bullying James for what he's got on. <laughs> Um, front page of the story, front page of the Times today, laughing gas ban to tackle bad behaviour. And actually I thought, I mean, it's interesting in and of itself that they, they want to crack down on those little silver canisters you see everywhere. But there's quite a lot in there that sort of pulled together, which is soon made a speech talking about antisocial behaviour, so's uh, Michael Gove. um uh, Polling, uh, that number 10 has done, found it's a growing concern amongst uh the public um as well, it feels a little bit retro this um uh India you know somewhat back to asbos and and all that sort of thing but but actually we we talked about litter on the show last week, um you know these sort of low level things actually can have quite a big impact on people's how they feel about their lives and where they live
4: um, yes, they absolutely can i do re- I might be missing something, but I don't really understand the emphasis on um nitrous oxide, laughing gas which, as far as I'm aware, and from childbirth, makes you kind of a bit woozy and giggle a lot. And I don't really see that that would contribute either the wooziness or the giggling to, you know, being a nuisance and smashing things up or behaving particularly antisocially. So it seems a funny one to pick, to me, the funny one to emphasise.
3: I do wonder whether it is the sort of thing that comes up in focus groups or something, where people talk about those canisters. I think
4: people are annoyed by the canisters. Seeing
3: seeing them in, like, parks, they feel that, like, that's the place going to the dogs.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think it's sort of, in a way, it's kind of clever politics, because it's the kind of thing that you do notice everywhere. I mean, I agree with India. I've never partaken of nitrous oxide myself. Um... But it doesn't sound like, you know, as drugs go, hardly, you know, being giggly for, I think mean, it's about 30 seconds at last. It doesn't sound like the end of the world. But
3: there was a stat. I'm just trying to find the stat. Yeah, since, since uh, 20, da, 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 there were 36 deaths associated with it in, between 2001 and 2016. I thought there were probably
2: more people killed by their own trousers in yeah. that time. Yeah, and then it when you feel like a thing that we need to crack. And then when you read into the circumstances of those deaths a lot of them seem to be kind of slightly ambiguous and it's you know was it you know happened at the same time as you know was not yeah. necessarily caused by it seems to be a bit a bit more difficult but i think i think you're absolutely right and this is just what i thought about it. it's that kind of thing that like everybody notices and i've had a conversation i remember when they first started appearing how long ago was it sort of 10 years ago yeah. they started appearing and i was like oh innocent that i was i was like what are those why is everyone these little kind of balloon silver yeah. balloon things everywhere um and you can imagine if you're like, that kind of thing that's niggled you for yeah. ages, we're going to sort that out. And you're like, yeah, that's what the government should be doing. They should be, you know, the irritating thing that I always notice. And I wondered, um, uh, India Stig was talking about this on, on breakfast this morning, and he was saying that
3: he'd almost rather kids were doing nitrous oxide than downing gallons of cider.
4: Um, yeah, I agree. Um, I think, I mean, I, obviously, you know, they're not. they're not they're not a great treat and you would rather people weren't doing them at all. But I mean, given the alternatives and apart from the deaths, which may or may not be directly related, it it just doesn't seem, it doesn't seem a very big problem, but I think you've totally um, alighted on the right thing. It's the kind of thing that springs to mind when you're having a general moan in a focus group, you go, Oh, there's silver balloons. They're everywhere. They're all over my street. And, you know, being seen to do something about such a minuscule um inconvenience i guess will please some people but yeah i would absolutely rather people did um laughing gas than down nine million pounds and stumble and fall over and smash their face and have a fight yeah 100
3: percent. also i do sort of wonder whether um number 10 must be getting polling where they could argue that anything is a big issue um i think there was some new ipsos moby polling out this week which showed that the nhs is now top priority uh, is a big issue, you know, it's overtaken the economy and inflation. You know, immigration's still bubbling around there, Housing still there, you know. Yeah, I suspect that basically people are just not very happy about most things. Yeah. I would quite like the government to sort it out. Um, right, let's move on, because I want to talk about your column today, James. Uh, why it's good that AI is taking over art. <laughs> um, you've been talking to some students, and I read this, and I thought, that's nice, because I've been speaking to some students as well, to, you know, imparting my wisdom on what they should be doing in life. I, I spoke to a, a state school in Wolverhampton. <laughs> Who were you speaking to, James? I went to Oxford University
2: to talk, <laughs> to talk. They, asked finally, me. they asked me finally somebody giving <laughs> those Oxbridge kids a break. I actually I hadn't put that in the column but Roland told me that I had to I had to admit to the um privilege that I was, you know, perpetrating by going to talk to these people. Yeah. Um they were they were quite frightening actually. They were extremely motivated and extremely organised. And they're all starting societies. they I'm glad I went because I know they're all going to be, you know, they're going to be our bosses yeah, in like five it. years' time, <laughs> so I'm sucking up to them early. Um, and so, aside from you drinking
3: half pints of cider with these insufferable young people, <laughs> um, the, the, you, you had a discussion about AI, and whether or not the AI, robots, artificial intelligence, will do us out of jobs.
2: Yeah, and it's, int- it's kind of interesting, because they're, you know, obviously quite a bit younger than us, and spontaneously they were all wondering, are we gonna have jobs? Is artificial intelligence going to take our jobs? there's a guy I was talking to there whose ambition was to be a graphic designer. And I mean, I don't know if you've seen things like DALI, the online kind of image generating machine. It basically it's it's extraordinary, you know. Yeah. It it does graphic design for you. It does like pretty good paintings for you. I made a painting on it that I think we put in the newspaper that yeah. was quite cool. Um and yeah, it do, it does seem like if you're in that position, it does seem like a legitimate thing to worry about. You know, a- AI can write pretty good news stories, um, if, especially financial news, things we just have to feed in numbers into a machine. It can produce a news story out of financial news. And I guess I, it, being a little bit contrarian on it, I was saying, well, obviously it's very bad if it takes everyone's jobs, but we have kind of, you know, I think there tends to be a kind of in our society an overvaluing of people in kind of creative professions thinking that makes you terribly special and terribly superior. I know that when I was at university, I was thinking back, I really wanted to be like, you know, creative and cool. And I didn't want to be a lawyer because I was boring or a management consultant. And I have probably looked down on people who did those jobs. <laughs> now it turns out I thought I was super superior, but I'm the person whose job an AI could do. And I was like, that's a kind of useful corrective, to that kind of smugness you get from, you know, urban creatives or whatever you'd call people like that. Um, what do you think of this, uh, India?
3: It was a sort of a sort of defense of the thing that we all do. We think we convinced ourselves that robots wouldn't be able to do what we did.
4: Yes, and James makes the interesting point that robots are really good at um things like writing or creative writing or art and very bad with um fine motor skills. Also, I'm just looking, now I'm thinking I made it up. I'm sure there's a story in one of the papers today about how robots are going to kill us all um but now i'm thinking it was in it was in the it was
2: in, the, it was in the telegraph somebody sent it to me ah, uh, first thing this morning would. saying you know this wasn't the most apposite uh, or the most useful backup for my column when i was sort of yeah. praising ai and then the telegraph is saying it's going to murder us all i obviously am anti-murderous ai yeah
4: paintings are nice humanity ending thanks to ai um no i slightly disagree with james on this one actually oh. i think that art and creativity are quite special. And I wouldn't necessarily, on a sliding scale, would I maybe? Maybe I would. I mean, I think they're very, very valuable. And I don't think they can be replicated convincingly by machines with no souls and no feelings and thoughts learned by algorithm. Um, And so, yes, of course, I recognize very um, clearly the kind of urban creatives that you describe, and I'm as allergic to them as you are. But I still think somebody who can express themselves with a pen or a paintbrush is intrinsically more interesting than somebody who can express themselves by feeding numbers into a computer and coming out with charts.
3: And there is something to be said for part of the human interaction is the, is that knowing it's come from a, a human. So like films with real people in are better than when they are all CGI'd to death, I think. That's true. Um, uh, you g- want to go and see a comedian live. You wouldn't want... In fact, you know, I've got tickets, actually, for the ABBA thing, so I'll be interested to see whether or not... Yeah. I'm convinced that, actually, we don't... Can you have the same human... Because the whole point of going to live things or going to see things yourself is because they're there and you want to feel like you've...
2: And it's that kind of human connection, them. I suppose, that you know is almost you know beyond what you can really describe. It's the kind of energy. But I think... In specific things like paintings and music, you know, as much as we like the idea that stuff's going on inside people and they're having emotions, they're transmitting to us, actually, there are the sort of social social studies where, you know, they show people a painting by an AI and a painting by a human and people will say they actually prefer the painting by the AI, not knowing which is the AI yeah. and which is the human. Um, there's another there's another study which was done actually a few years ago, so it's quite old now, where they played an audience, some music by the composer Bach and some music written to sound like Bach by a robot and nobody could tell the difference. And at that point, I do wonder if some of the stuff begins to sound a little bit like special pleading. Like, without the, without the knowledge of who did it, there's, like, no difference. But and it will only get more like that so in the future.
4: But. That's so creepy, though. That's
2: so creepy. I agree it's creepy.
3: But you do need someone to have written the bark. You do need in bark blankets. in the first place. And there is some creativity. in the thing that you did, you asked the AI to produce a picture in the style of... So in the way, you are at the moment anyway it's not doing that on its own you are creating you've you've created
2: the ai image that's true and it wouldn't have it wouldn't have happened without me but then also you know i guess you could say that plenty of paintings were painted because you know in the middle ages you know some monarch said i want a picture of me yeah. someone went and did it and you know and the other thing that the eye just kind of is doing stuff in the style of i mean that's all most human painting is as you know incorporating influences from people who come before putting them all together in something new um i don't know i think people overestimate the differences and actually you know the some when we think about how similar those two things are can get a little bit unsettling basically
3: artsy-fartsy journalists thought we're gonna be all right because we're very good it's the it's the accountants need to worry because robots could do the numbers but they'll never be able to do the creative. who
2: could write a james mario you know exactly. surely only me but have yeah, you I tried might. doing that have
3: you tried getting chat gbt or whatever it's called to write one of your columns
2: i did and it actually wrote something uh i thought extremely generic
3: oh uh, <laughs> so so it was absolutely bang on <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, india do we is it just a reminder in a way i suppose we end up thinking about the stuff that was really valuable in our life like a sunset you know we've seen a sunset before but there's still something sometimes when you see a sunset or hear a piece of music you don't sit and think of course this isn't my bark in 18s or whatever mm. you know it's 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 whatever it is it moves you and it, it um...
4: yeah yeah you respond you respond with your soul and i think in order, this, this is going to sound so punsy but if you think the purpose of art is to explain the human condition to human beings then that has to come from somewhere i'm very cheered actually by your by by, your pointing out that in order for James to generate his pictures, he had to instruct the AI into what kind of picture to create and that the AI presumably wouldn't have spontaneously been capable of coming up with whatever it was sort of parroting. But, you know, it's like listening to a series, a, a playlist made up of of cover versions. It's fine. It's nice. It's pleasant but 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 you always hark back to
3: oh, the what well, the original yeah but if you want to see uh, the oil sketch that James got Dal e 2 uh, to do uh, you can um, look at it online or uh, or look at the paper and somebody actually what well, the the top comment on your column at the moment James is somebody saying personally i don't think that ai could produce art bad enough to win the turner prize <laughs> <laughs> I, suppose that's I think the they're probably right if you're pushing or even this um, or even coming up with these 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 fox um from uh, Paris Fashion Week, the woman with the line on her shoulder this week. Um there's one on the front of the Times today with a dress up over her head. Um, so how you know Oh you my sit, god.
4: How people sit in the front row and don't honk with laughter. <laughs> I,
3: I would I would look quite a lot like the very heavily pregnant Zara during the um Harry and Meghan's wedding. Do you remember? By the, the preacher. And she was clearly doing everything she possibly could yeah. not to laugh out loud. <laughs> but somebody's got to come up with that first, you see. That, yeah, you need, well, you need humans
2: people. are idiots. We're putting dresses over people's heads. It's time to let the robots just take over. We've done a bad job with dresses <laughs> and art, and it's time well, for the have covered a lot the of the fashion robots. there. From, yeah, I'm <laughs> lucky you didn't come in with a frock over your head. You?
3: <laughs> uh, right, up next, we've got to find out about repairing red boxes, ministerials with red boxes. Uh, one minister jams theirs, and it's cost them loads to fix. Uh, we'll find out why next. We were just talking about uh, AI and art, and uh, somebody's pointed out that isn't AI stealing art by scraping the internet for image? No intellectual property in the future. And there was a story about that in the papers last week that I yeah. think, some, is it Getty or someone?
2: Some big photograph library is, is suing uh, one of these bots. And there are various kind of famous digital artists who people are massive fans of, and they just get the AI to produce an image in the style of, and then the internet is just flooded with yeah, fake, yeah, yeah. fake versions of what they've done.
3: India Knight and James Barrett there. And of course, you can read them in the Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times red Box. Up next is the focus group.
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
3: You're listening to the Red Box Podcast. Now, it's time for this. The Big Thing on Times Radio. Every month here on Times Radio, we convene the Times Radio focus group, repeating exactly the exercises that all the political parties in Downing Street will be doing to find out what voters really think. Real voters. I know, not just people who work in Westminster. Uh, as ever, the focus group is chaired by James Johnson from JL Partners, former Number 10 pollster. He's done all of this exactly for Downing Street. Uh, James, before we get into what the group have got to say, as ever, the legal disclaimer, what is a focus group and what is it not?
1: So, a focus group is not a poll. It's a small group of voters. We spoke to six people uh, uh, on Tuesday night for this one, Um, whereas polls are 2,000, 1,000 people. They're intended to be representative. This is not. So, you know, we always get people tweeting in, calling in, texting in, saying, you know, how can you possibly say this is representative? We're not trying to say that. What it's about is it's about really sort of uh, diving deep with voters and getting into a sense of what they think
3: and feel underneath those polling numbers. And because we look at the polling numbers you'd say that Labour has to be on double what the Tories are, but we don't know if that's they're very enthusiastic about Labour, are they very cross with the Conservatives, and until you get them chatting that you can find out a bit more about it. Exactly. And who are today's uh, panel and how did you find them? So there are a mix of people who voted
1: Conservative and Labour in 2019, um, and they're now saying they're undecided. Uh, once we pushed them a little bit in the focus group, we found that they did have uh, opinions. Some of them, some of them lean Labour. Um, but uh, that's the group we're talking to. And we went to three places this time. We went to uh, new, uh, a variety of voters around Newcastle. Uh, we went to Southport. Um, uh, and we also went to uh, um, Chippenham as well. So seats that um, perhaps are not uh, super marginal, but they're certainly ones, a seat like Chippenham, you know, if Labour is going to win a majority, they're going to need
3: to pick up places, pick up like, places like that. Like that yeah. OK, no, uh, let's, uh, kick, let's get stuck in then. So as ever, James kicks off with the question of just, in general, how do you think the government are doing?
5: The whole country's in crisis, really, and he's not really stepped up, I don't feel.
6: It, it's a kind of a bit like peeing against the wind. I don't think there's anything that they're going to be able to do to, to change how we feel. But I personally feel like we don't have a good word to say about the government at the moment.
7: I'd honestly struggle to think of anything positive that I've read that they've done recently, to be honest. I think if you look at straight action, food bank rise and, you know, there's so many things, negatives.
8: Absolutely, Paula. I think they started very well with the Covid and since then if they were in the Premier League they went from the top into the relegation zone they're just lurching from one disaster to another
9: Liz's trust was just a disaster and I was actually quite looking forward to Rishi taking over I thought he might actually make a difference but unfortunately that doesn't seem to be the case at the minute I
10: just think people have lost faith everyone going on strikes I mean Ambulance Drive is going on strike my dad had to wait 12 hours for one and I don't think anyone's been firm enough to
3: actually offer something decent for the people that need it. That's pretty rough for the government, isn't it, James? The the, the, the sense of crisis and all, almost resignation that nothing can be done about it.
1: Yeah, and you heard someone there describe it as as this country being, like, post-war. Um, you know, there's a sense of services being in, in trouble. There's a sense of, you know, real squeeze of the cost of living. Lots of talk about um, poorer and more vulnerable people in society as well. And a sense that the Conservatives really lost it under Liz Truss, and they haven't really sort of clawed it back for these voters. Um, so yeah, it was very hard to find positives in there, and it was it was quite sort of sad to hear about the country as a whole as well. Yeah,
3: yeah. Um, you asked specifically how Wishy Sunak comes across when, they, when they've seen him because you know obviously he's been well next week's hundred days he's been there. You know he's done various speeches and appearances. Uh, um, oh no! Sorry. Let's do that. Let's do the, let's do the well, sum him up in a few words. That's probably better, actually. Uh, this, uh, this is uh, just a sort of gut instinct. Let's sum up Rishi Senak in, in a few words.
7: I'm worried it's following on from Boris. Not you know this seems like he's covered up a bit for Zahawi a little bit. or he's not said a lot about it. Seatbelt. Just little things that you wouldn't expect your prime minister to be running into.
5: During Covid, I felt he was competent and hardworking, but now I'd say he's a bit out of touch.
8: The Tories didn't put him up as leader, so he was second choice, and I just don't trust him.
5: I think he's came
6: into the worst
5: possible
10: situation,
6: so I don't think I can have a fair assessment on him.
8: So he's only been in, been in the job a
6: few
10: months, but how long do we give?
9: A bit of a letdown. I, I would like to give him more time, definitely. I think he's a likeable person, but you know the proof needs to be in the pudding
3: again it's not it's not hugely positive for the Prime Minister that is it and it, what, what was interesting was on some of the specifics when you asked about yeah, you know, whether it was not wearing a seatbelt, they said, "Oh, the press have made a matter. it was a stupid thing to do, it's not that big a deal uh similarly on having private health care, really unmoved by that not you know it, it's about actually doing stuff for the country and looking like he'd got a plan that was the issue yeah. And We'll hear
1: more later, but also that sense of um, how he's not responded to the Nadeem Zawahi situation, mm-hmm. that's certainly feeding into, into views of him as well. As you heard that still saying give him a chance, still saying difficult circumstances. It is worth saying, you know, they felt that Boris Johnson uh, was a liar. They felt very angry about Boris Johnson. They thought Liz Truss was incompetent. They sort of just felt quite despairing about Liz Truss. Obviously seeing that, they've got a sense that there's something they used to like and there's something they could like. Uh, but that he's not giving them uh, currently reasons to like him. I got the sense that they want to like him, um, but he's not currently giving them reasons to do so.
3: And this is, this was probably the standout moment on Tuesday night when uh, we recorded this. You asked them to, to to come up with something positive, just anything that Rishi Sunak's done in his first three months as Prime Minister, just something you've been impressed by. Any areas since Rishi Sunak came into power that we've been impressed by.
7: I kind of, I off the
3: top of my head, I kind of, I honestly can't think of anything. And that, and that was it. They just didn't. They couldn't think of anything, could they? It was it was extraordinary. And and sort of even just jokingly saying, "Well, he's replaced Liz Truss, or he's you know Boris isn't there, or something." But they just couldn't their the, the, the default view of which you said that was so negative.
1: Yeah, I think We've probably got a few listeners checking their Wi-Fi connections <laughs> there. Um, look, I mean, it, it's it's difficult because if you think back to well, what would have happened if you'd have asked that question in the David Cameron years or even in the Theresa May years and you got the thing You did all. You know. You never got people. You know, rushing forward with great plaudits to run through about their about their government. But you did get things like uh, um, the uh, help to buy uh, scheme. Um, you did get things like the NHS long term plan. You know, more investment. Uh, Even with Boris Johnson, you've got a sense of some of the things. Uh, That has been very difficult for the Conservatives to land since the the Liz Truss and the sort of dying days of Boris Johnson era. So, yeah, I, I think Number 10 and Rishi Sunak are aware of that. I don't think that they are trying to blitz the public with lots of big policy offers now, I think they've made a strategic judgment that actually they're going to sort of go for, we've got these five promises, we're going to deliver them by the end of the year, we're not going to give you everything. So, you know, there's a little... Uh, it's not quite there. I don't think Number 10 will be sort of, you know, really upset by that finding. Yeah. Um, but clearly, uh, they're not registering with the public
3: at the moment. And you asked about the five pledges and nobody had any idea what you were talking about.
1: Indeed. Yeah. Um, and that's really that's, that's a real you know, problem for the government because that's their gamble.
3: And the thing that, that struck me, listen, listen, when you asked about the five pledges, um, which are, oh, let's try to remember cut inflation, cut the debt, grow the economy, NHS backlogs, and immigration. Um, why aren't ministers being told to shoehorn them in, like the long term economic plan under, mm-hmm. under David Cameron? Just shoehorn them in, or for the many, not the few that the Labour fund bases are doing, Jeremy Corbyn, just shoehorn those priorities into mm-hmm. every. Every answer in discussion, and instead they've cut back on ministers appearing on, on the airwaves. And even when they do appear, they're not really on the defensive. What are you going to do about strikes? Mm. What are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about that? And they're not, they're not doing that thing of like, well, of course, what we really should be talking about, the people's priorities, which are inflation, debt, yeah. growth, NHS backlogs, and, infl- and immigration.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, no one could list any of the five promises. No one had actually heard about the five promises as a general thing. Um if you look just at the political strategy, um, I, think it's, I think it's right. People are sick of being over-promised by yeah, politicians. Yeah. And if Rishi Sunak can turn around and say, we've delivered them, then he might earn them in a hearing. We did ask them, actually, yeah. in the focus group, what would, what would you feel if these were delivered? And people got quite, well, quite positive about it.
3: I think, actually, we've, we've got the clip of uh, uh, when you asked if Rishi does d- deliver on his five pledges, uh, <laughs> bearing in mind they didn't know what they were until two minutes earlier. You then explained uh, what they were. This is what they said.
5: Morning. More inclined
9: to oh, vote thanks. for them.
10: Yeah, be a lot more confidence in him.
9: Yeah, completely. It'd be, I think it'd be a shock and surprise, but it would definitely instill more confidence.
8: If he achieved it, a bit of feel-good factor would come back, wouldn't it? Because generally, people would have a little bit more money back in the pocket than what they've got now.
6: He couldn't have a better platform and a better audience than us sitting suffering. And if he does what he's saying, then he's going to make everybody happy and he's going to come off the hero set.
3: Come off it. The, so there's the window of window of opportunity there for which you know. That, that
1: there really is, and I think you know, people listening to this, it's worth bearing in mind that. Uh, if Rishi Sunak can show progress on those promises by the end of the year, there really is that opening there. Cameron and Osborne were very good at getting their pledges out on advertising, bus stops, billboards. Yeah, yeah. Um, they also need to get those out there because if the public don't know about these five promises, it's not going to matter if, not, if they've been delivered or not.
3: Particularly because, as you say, some of them are low. I mean, cutting inflation—we all expect inflation to come down. So you need to tell people that's what you're going to do to yeah. get the credit when it happens. Absolutely. As well, um, we touched—we've talked a lot about the deems of harway. Uh, they weren't that interested in Richard Nixon's private health care. They weren't that bothered about seat belts. They were really bothered about the deems of Harvey's taxes. Let's take a listen.
7: As, as leader, I think is he do, is he doing some sort of investigation at the minute? But if if he doesn't resign, he'd expect him to get sacked based on what I've read. On how you know, he can keep your job after deliberately not paying what is it four million in tax? Ridiculous. Yeah, I think he should have
8: nipped it in the bud uh, as soon as he could have done. The fact that he hasn't has now led to all these other things about Boris's loans and. Everything else is coming out of the woodwork. We should have asked him to go at the beginning. He needs to go,
10: but it's just a little bit too late. Rishi needs to start getting tough with him and telling him say you resign or you come.
9: He does. He needs to resign or Rishi needs to like say step up and show him his boss basically. Because otherwise people are just going to keep walking all over him.
3: That's interesting that and that's part of that weak argument it's the thing that, that Keir Starmer's been trying to land at, at PMQs. Yep. Strong is a huge
1: thing that voters come voters bear in mind when it comes to which leader they vote for. And this is making the longer this goes on, this is making Richie Sunat look weaker and Keir Starmer get stronger. Point really worth making, when we first started the focus group and we asked them what they'd noticed in the news and we asked them how they thought the government was doing, Nadeem Zawahi, almost everyone mentioned it. So this is not just something that when we prompt for, it's yeah. salient, it's
3: something that voters had already noticed. It's one of those things that has cut through. And I, we've talked about, I've said this before this week, the fact it's happening in January, and lots of people, not everyone, but lots of people are doing their tax returns, does just mean that it's sort of, it's, the salience of it is probably even even higher. Uh, and it, it's feeding through, and Rishi Sunak might like to do the, the, the due process, but if it means it drags on for three weeks and people think he looks weak, if the ultimate outcome of all this is that the Demons of Harvey's no longer in the cabinet, getting on with it might be might be preferable. Right, well, up next, we will turn our attention to the Labour Party. Uh, this is what our panel of swing voters had to say about
7: the leader of the opposition. I think he seems relatively likeable. You know, clips of Prime Minister's questions, whatever. I think he seems put good challenges and arguments across.
5: I wasn't sure if I found him as likeable. I think he will always tell us what we want to hear.
6: I, I don't know if it's just he's got one of those faces I don't really trust, yeah. but i just just ha- have him like as if he's a yes man, but he's not really going to follow through with anything.
8: It's same as Tony Blair. He says what you want to hear. If the Tories make mistakes, he's straight on it but he doesn't seem to have any ideas of his own. There's just something about him that I just don't like and I can't put my finger on what it is. Yeah, I think he's a comedian, just changes his spots to, to fit in wherever he is.
9: I really didn't like him at first. I didn't like the way he came across. I think he was a bit cocky, but actually watching him in um, Parliament, he's very direct and to the point and seems very confident. He has got one of those faces that, you know, you know, it's not quite warming, but he, he has actually grown on me
10: because obviously he's a lawyer, so you know lawyers have got the patter. Will they be able to back it up?
3: Now, James, this is not a group of normal average swing voters talking about the lead of a party which is on 50% of the votes, is it? There's a, there's a disconnect between those voting attention polls and what the people who were supposedly going to deliver this landslide victory for Labour were actually saying about Keir Starmer. Yeah,
1: things are so bad with the Conservatives in their mind at the moment that a lot of them are saying, well, it's time for change and we'll go with Labour even if we're not that excited by them. Uh, The question is, can the Conservatives reduce that over time? And, you know, clearly one of the ways to do that is by bringing the focus onto Keir Starmer. They are not enamoured by him, they're not excited by him. And that political attack that actually Boris Johnson landed during the pandemic, that you know, Keir Starmer seemed to sort of just agree with what was politically expedient rather than what he believed in, has really stuck with voters. And Keir Starmer has really, is really giving that impression. So, you know, this is the, as, as they said there, you know, this is the sort of the del, the del boy Keir Starmer with the face you can't trust. And, you know, that kind of stuff matters in terms of perceptions.
3: Interesting as well, this argument, we, we've had this a lot in the focus. I, 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 for a long time I thought this was a bit unfair just saying he just opposes everything. That's sort of slightly the point of the Leader of the Opposition. But I, I've got a story of the Times today with uh, Henry Zeffman. Nick Keir Starmer wants his shadow cabinet ministers to stop behaving like TV pundits and instead focusing on explaining what a Labour government would look like. Um, a senior Labour source told me, we need to stop our people from just commentating on the government. They're players, not TV pundits. And then, sort of absolutely bang on, somebody in the focus group there saying, if the Tories make mistakes, he's straight on it, but he doesn't seem to have any ideas of his own. Mm -hmm. And clearly, you know, for a long time, the Labour Party's party has just been getting a hearing, and people at least being open to voting for them. But this is now the point, and Labour seem aware of this, that they need to talk about what a Labour government would do, rather than going... what well, the Tories have done again.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, if they, the more that they can set out those plans, that also puts to, re- puts to bed sort of c- a concern that Keir Starmer also doesn't have a plan for the country. It's worth saying there were a couple of positive comments in there. Um, we sort of we heard echoes of what we first heard way back when we started doing this monthly focus group in May 2020, which was this sense of actually at PMQs in Parliament, he's quite good, he's quite strong. We even heard very disengaged voters yeah, yeah. saying that. They're, I'm not suggesting anyone goes and sits down and watches PMQs yeah. in full every week, but it had come through to them on news clips and on. On social media clips we had a little bit of that again but still he's not sealing the deal with the voters and uh if it becomes a presidential contest the next election currently kirsten would still edge it because there is that yeah. frustration with rishi sunak if sunak can turn that around it's just possible it is a little bit more competitive than it currently
3: looks and it goes back to the whole thing that rishi sunak's massively outpolling his own party uh, in a way that Keir Starmer isn't uh, with the Labour Party. So let's on that specific question then: Are Labour ready to be in government? This is what the, this is what the, the the focus group said.
5: I don't think they are ready. I think they would go in with all these great ideas, but I don't think they would be prepared for what it would all entail. And I, I do think Rishi. It's a man with a plan. I think they'll come in,
6: say, this is what, what's been done wrong. This is how we're going to fix it. But by the way, as I'm in so much debt and it's going to cost us this to fix it, but it wasn't our fault. I think kind of need to fix the mess first and then they could
7: potentially step in. But I don't think it's the right time.
9: I think, don't think anyone's ready for government right now.
7: Basically, I think anyone's better than conservatives at the minute. No, They've 12 years to fix it. If anything, it's got worse. There's no plan or strategy. I can't see it. The only strategy seems to
8: be to knock the Conservatives at the minute rather than this is what we're going to do to put the country right.
3: And there's all that again, you know, no plan. But I suppose what's slightly depressing about the whole thing is there's a sort of despondency. The country's in a mess. Nobody's got a plan. There's nothing we can do about it. It's quite sort of... Oh, it's, not a, it's not a ringing endorsement of the British political system.
1: Yeah, and also if anybody wants to set it right, there's a feeling that... That they can't, yeah, because they've been let down in the past. <laughs> yeah, he's
3: either got no plan, Kirstab, or he has got a plan, but he won't be able to achieve it.
1: Yeah, it yeah. Is, it's very difficult, and you know, it, it speaks to, I think, you know, years of, of of people being disappointed by politicians, and it's it's very hard to see how we sort of get out of that as a country. Um, uh, I do think there that uh, yeah, plan is really important. That word plan is really key. Uh, look, there is a world it is worth considering. Um, I'm not saying this is likely, but there is a world in which in an election campaign. Labour actually lands a really sort of bold, exciting manifesto yeah. and then suddenly those concerns are put to bed if they manage to have yeah, two yeah, days yeah. or two or three days of really good coverage on it.
3: And actually the problem they've got now is if they launched a big policy now, uh, the government might nick it or people get bored of it. Uh, and they're like, oh, OK, fine, you are got to, you know, reinvent the entire health service, fine, what else? And we spend the next 18 months. Going, well, oh, fine, okay. You're going to put a man on the moon, but what else? Yeah. Um. And there is a. There's. And this is this is a live conversation with the people I've been to in the Labour Party. A live conversation. They're trying to get that timing just right without knowing the election could be spring next year. It could be the end of next year, and that's quite a big difference. Is there a year to go until a general election campaign, mm-hmm. or eighteen months, nearly two years? And what point do you start? You know, it goes back to the whole thing. Has he got any powder? Or is, he, you know, is he keeping his powder dry? Has he got no powder?
1: The thing that would spook me, though, if I was Labour listening to that, is when that lady said, after really criticising him hard earlier yeah. in the group, saying, Rishi Sunak strikes me as a man with a plan. Yeah. Um, there were a few people... Some people in that group were saying, Tories have messed it up, don't trust them. Some people, though, were saying, we can't quite trust Labour to fix a crisis. Yeah.
3: So there were some people who were still preferring the Tories to fix a their com- own mess. Yeah, a competence thing there. It's really interesting. So well, on a straight choice, then, on this panel of swing voters... Uh, who would they rather have, Rishi Sunak or Keir Starmer?
6: He's came in into a sinking ship essentially, and I've got no reason to not trust trust him really. When, like I said, I've, there's something about that man's face that I just I don't trust. Bit del boyish for me. Where Rishi, I've, I've, I think he's more relatable.
8: He's only had to say he's had 100 days, and he's inherited he's inherited a mess. If it's a yet the next election, he's got a time to put a mandate plan and strategy together. And then he could be putting his own policies forward.
5: There is a plan. I can trust him on that. And someone like Keir Starman, if he just suddenly came in right now, I actually think it'd make things ten times worse.
9: I just think maybe a fresh a fresh face, a new party. So it just it just might help a little bit.
7: Nothing massive against British at the minute, but I think seatbelting you know, not really, not necessarily being totally honest about certain things. Keir starman has got a bit more integrity as well about him.
3: So the group splitting there, despite being so critical at the beginning, still splitting four to two in favour of... uh, And I'm not saying that's representative of national public opinion, but it's just a reminder that the public, are quite annoying because they can hold conflicting views at once. If the government's an absolute disgrace, but pushed to it, they'll still vote for wishes in it. Yeah, and this is why,
1: you know, the best route for the Conservatives would be to make this as presidential a sort of election campaign as possible. It was interesting. I I, I thought, you know, some of the recent sort of, you know, videos and so on that uh, Rishi Sunak's been putting out uh, have you know received quite a lot of criticism online. People have said, you know, he's coming across as too geeky. People have said he's coming across as a bit weird. Uh, if you read uh, social media, um, these voters thought that Rishi Sunak actually generally is coming across quite well and they compare him to Boris Johnson and say he's more trustworthy. Um, so that perception hasn't cut through with voters as a whole. So, yeah, if I was advising the Conservative Party, I'd be saying, you know, you need to make this as presidential as possible because Rishi versus Starmer is still a net positive with
3: these swing voters. Well, the way he's going with his cabinet, it might only be him left. He might be, might be fully presidential by that point. Um, <laughs> uh, let's uh, find out, as you always do that, you ask who, if you got the chance, what would be your direct message to the two party leaders? So this is the focus group's uh, message to Rishi
8: Sunak.
6: Actually, look at the country, look at the people in it and use
9: this time machine try and make us proud
8: build up the trust in the party
9: go into communities and get a real feel for what is actually going on and how people are being affected face to face and don't mess it up
10: get the confidence of the whole of your party behind you and then believe in yourself
7: and yeah be honest and communicate Communi- you know all, all the different parties are striking at the minute we'll have you like communicate with them hopefully find a solution
3: there's a little bit of hope in that. I mean, maybe it's just the fact that they just want a lot of these problems to be solved, and at the moment he's Prime Minister so they want him to sort of sort them out. Yeah, I think it
1: shows that the five promises strategy is the right one, because if Rishi Rishi Sunak is not going to start scoring quick wins with these voters now, the risk there for Rishi Sunak is that come May there aren't any improvements, Mm -hmm. local elections look really bad and he comes under a lot of pressure, but you know, his game is to his game is a slightly longer game and get to get to the end of the year. As we said earlier, though, they need to get these five promises everywhere. You need to be sick of it, Matt. Your viewers need to be texting sick of it. Yeah, I need to be able to rattle
3: rat them off without slightly counting them exactly. on the fingers and trying to remember. And I suppose that's the thing. It's, it's like light, they alighted on the right strategy at New Year, and then that's sort of fallen away again mm. now. And if they were the five strategy, five the five priorities. What was the levelling up stuff last week? How does that fit in? You know, really? that didn't point to... You'd have thought, well, five five points for, over the next five weeks, we'll do one mm. each week or something. Um, yeah, no, it's interesting that. And it, it goes back to the whole, is it Alistair Campbell used to say, you know, it's only when everyone is sick of repeating your slogan that it's actually starting to land and people start uh, noticing it. But, OK, uh, for the sake of completeness, then, let's get the focus group's uh, message to Keir Starmer. Keep trying. Be
7: yourself.
5: Give me reasons to have faith in you.
7: I'd want to hear fixed policies sooner rather than later.
5: Be realistic and don't overpromise.
7: Be realistic, be true, just don't show off. <laughs> don't show off. No danger of that.
3: Uh, some proper policies sooner rather than later. There's, there's an opening there, isn't there? It feels like between now and maybe those elections in May, if Labour came out with a big eye-catching policy... That the Conservatives could find fault with because they want a big row on their own terms, that could suddenly start locking in some of these quite soft, Labour supporters,
1: yeah, I think I think that's right. And we, as we said earlier, you know, they don't need to go and spoil their entire manifesto, but one big thing um, could could grab some attention. Uh, it is difficult to cut through as, as opposition. Remember, uh, um, the other thing that came through there was lots of concern about how they'd how they'd um, how they'd handle the economy yeah. and that sense of be realistic. When we talked about it in more detail, that was often linked to don't overspend. So they need to also put reassurance on that. Again, you can tell that Labour are hearing that in their focus groups because that's something that Rachel Reeves is is really making clear. One final thing is that they just they don't necessarily want need Keir Starmer to come out with all of the all of the answers they just want Richie Sunak to feel a little bit more, uh, want uh, Keir Starmer to just feel a little bit more real so you know I'm not suggesting that he takes his tie off and starts you know sort of meeting greeting voters but just having a sense of punchiness trying to find a moment where he can really clearly contrast
3: himself with Sunak sometimes being a bit too professional is yeah people come, come, come across as smooth or sort of forgettable you need some mm. like a little bit of edge it's really interesting. Now, what would you what would you be suggested to? Well, I think we've basically done what you'd suggest to what you've seen Double but down on double down get on get five pledges absolutely everywhere. Yeah, that's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget, you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, ten till one on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast, and if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcast from.